Chapter 117 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cole McKinnon. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2, by Thomas Prescott Prist. Chapter 117. The Proposal of Jack Pringle to Take Anderson to the Wedding. A circumstance now occurred which soon enabled Jack Pringle to console himself for the misadventure he had had, which he was delighted to think was not known to any of those persons with whom he came ordinarily into contact. The pleasant circumstance to which we allude was the reception of a letter from the Admiral, and by the mere fact of his writing such an epistle to Jack, it would seem to be perfectly true that he really felt unhappy without the companionship of that worthy. The letter was to the following effect. Jack, you mutinous rascal, your leave of absence has expired, and you know you ought to have a round dozen when you come back to your ship, but as it turns out you may stay where you are, for a reason that I am going to tell you. There is to be a wedding at the very place where you are staying, between some odd fish, a barren something, I don't know who, but as we have been all invited, we are coming down to the whole lot of us, and shall arrive on Thursday, so you may look out from the masthead as soon as you like, and you will see us coming with all sails set. No more at present from your vagabond, you know who. What an affectionate letter, said Jack. I know the old fellow couldn't do without me long. He's quite an old baby, that's what he is, and if I wasn't to take a little notice of him, he would be as miserable as possible. Helloa, what cheer! Have you come back? These last words were addressed to James Anderson, who at that moment made his appearance in the cottage of the old seaman. He, having just left the house of the Williamses, after the painful interview which he had recorded took place between him and Mrs. Williams, during which she had succeeded in convincing him that all his hopes, as regarded Helen, were crushed completely. The appearance of deep dejection that was upon his countenance was such as to convince Jack Pringle the nature of the business he had been upon, and he cried, "'Come, come, cheer up, man. I guess now you have been looking after that sweetheart of yours, who is no better than she should be.' "'I have indeed,' said James Anderson, "'been to extinguish all hope. Nothing now lives in my breast but despair.' I shall proceed to London at once, to make a report to the Admiralty, as it is my duty to do so, and, after that, I care not what becomes of me. Stuff, stuff, said Jack. I have got some news for you. My old Admiral, that I take care of, has had an invitation to the very wedding, as I take it to be, of your old sweetheart. What? Is it possible? Do you mean an invitation to Helium Williams's wedding? With the Baron Stolmer of Salzburg? "'Yes, I do. That's just what I do mean, and no mistake. Here's the letter which he has written to me to go, and I think I shall let the old fellow, for it will amuse him. Just read that.' Jack handed the Admiral's letter to James Anderson, which he read with a great deal of interest, and when he had concluded he said, "'Mr. Pringle, a sudden thought strikes me.' "'About ships,' said Jack, "'and begin again. I told you before not to call me Mr. Pringle. I cannot stand it.' call me Jack, and then go on telling me what your sudden thought is. Well then, Jack, my sudden thought is this, that your friend, the Admiral, might be induced, upon your representation, to let me join his party, 
and I would take care to conceal my features and general appearance so that I should not be known, while I had the mournful satisfaction of taking a last look upon that occasion of her who I have loved, before she becomes irrevocably the wife of another. If you wish it, said Jack, it shall be done. I'll undertake there shall be no objections on the part of the admiral. And as for the Bainsworths, they are a good sort of people, and would do all they can for anybody, I am sure. I should take it as a peculiar favor, for although I feel now that my hopes are blasted, and I can have no possible expectation of beholding her with eyes of pleasure, I still wish to look upon her, that I may see if anything of regret is upon her countenance, of if she has quite forgotten the past. Say no more, said Jack, but consider it as done. I'd take care, though, if I were you, that she did not find me out, for I wouldn't let the finest woman that ever breathed, no, not if she was seven feet high and as big as a hogshead, fancy that I cared so much for her as to go to her wedding after she had jilted me. She shall not see me, said James Anderson. She shall not see me, you may depend, for without doubt the guests will be very numerous, so that I can easily keep myself in the background and look upon her face without her being at all aware of the presence of such a person at the ceremony. Yes, you can manage that, and, if I were you, just as I was going away, I'd give the baron a jolly good kick, and tell him you wished him the joy of his bargain. I wouldn't do anything violent, you know, but a little quiet thing like that would just show them all what you thought of the business. A sense of my wrongs, said James Anderson, should not extinguish a sense of justice and I have no means of knowing that the baron is at all in fault in this matter. Oh, you are too nice by one half. If a fellow takes away my sweetheart, hang me if I care who is at fault. Oh, but it is necessary that we should be just at all events. But still, Jack, accept my sincerest thanks for placing me in the way of looking upon Helen. I'd rather see that she was happy and contented with her lot then I would observe evidence upon her face of any passionate regret. The former would reconcile me, by making me think I had made a great mistake in the object of my attachment, while the latter would leave in my heart a never-ceasing pain. "'Come on,' said Jack. "'I fear I tax your patience, Jack Pringle, when I talk in such a strain as this.' "'I'll be hanged if you don't. What do you mean by it? There is a lot of women in the world.' I have no patience with a fellow that, because one girl uses him ill, goes sniffling and crying about his feeling, and his agony, and his chest, and all that sort of thing. I should recommend a bottle of rum. Well, well, Jack, it may happen some day, even with you, and then you may feel some of the mental agony of knowing that another has posed himself of her, whom you thought all your own. This was hitting Jack rather hard, although James Anderson did not know it. So he said— Ah, well, to be sure, there is something in that, after all, and I don't mean to say there ain't, but, however, keep up your heart, my boy, and there is no saying what may happen yet. Alas, there can nothing happen that give me pleasure. All is lost now, and the only hope I can have is to forget. Jack would have written a letter back to the Admiral in reply to the one which he had received, only that somehow or other he was not a first-rate penman, and as he said it was such a bother to know where to begin, and when you did begin it was such a bother to know where to leave off, that, taking all things into consideration, he rather on the whole declined writing at all. 
and, as the appointed day was near at hand, on which the wedding was to take place, he thought it would do quite as well if he kept the lookout which the Admiral had suggested for the arrival of the Bannersworth. As for the scheme of James Anderson to be present at the wedding, the more Jack thought of it, the more he liked it, because he considered that it afforded a chance, at all events, if not a good prospect, of a general disturbance as any that had ever existed. "'Lor, what fun!' he said, if he would but kick the baron, and then if the baron would but fall foul of him, and the girl scream, and old mother Williams go into hysterics, that would be a lark, and no doubt about it. Shouldn't I enjoy it above a bit? I'd give them a helping hand somehow or another, and then, who knows, but the girl may have been regularly badgered by the old cat of a mother into the match, and may wish for all the world to get out of it. There can be no doubt but that if Helen Williams, even at that last moment, chose to make any appeal, it would not be made in vain to Jack Pringle, who with all his faults, and they were numerous enough, had in his heart a chivalrous love of rights, and a hatred of anything in the shape of oppression, which nothing could subdue. And such qualities as these surely are amply sufficient to atone for a multitude of minor errors, which were more those of habit and defective education than anything else. It very much delighted him to think that the Admiral and the Bainersworth were coming down to Anderbury, because such a fact not only prolonged his stay there, which he was pleased it should do, because he was really very much delighted with the place, but it at the same time threw him again into the company he so much liked, and his attachment to the Bannerworth family had really become quite a strong feeling. He waited quiet with impatience until the Thursday came on which the Admiral had announced his arrival, and instead of being in the town or on the outskirts to watch for him, which would have been but a tiresome operation, Jack walked boldly on to meet them by the high road which he knew they must traverse. After he had gone about four miles, he had the satisfaction of seeing, in the distance, a travelling carriage, manned, as he called it, with four horses rapidly approaching and Jack immediately produced a large silk handkerchief that he had purchased, which was a representation of the national flag of Great Britain. This he fastened to the end of a stick, and commenced waving it about as a signal to the admiral of his presence in the road. At this moment, too, it happened, fortunately for Jack Pringle, as he considered, that a man came across the still in the immediate vicinity where he was with a gun in his hand. "'Hello, a friend,' said Jack Pringle. "'Just let me look at that gun a minute.' "'I'll see you further first, said the man. "'You seem to me as if you were out of your mind.' So saying, he leveled the piece at some birds, which were flying overhead, and fired first one barrel and then the other in rapid succession. "'Thank you,' said Jack. "'That was all I wanted. "'And it will answer my purpose exactly. "'There is nothing like when you display your flag, firing a gun or two. "'It's all right. "'He sees me. "'He sees me.' The admiral had actually been looking from the window of the carriage, although he had not expected to see Jack quite so soon. But the appearance of the handkerchief, which was made so much to resemble a flag, convinced him of the fact that Jack had come that distance to meet them, and when he heard the gun fire twice he was quite delighted, and leaning back in the carriage he cried, "'Ah, Flora, my dear, it is a great pity that Jack is so given to rum, for he is a remarkably clever fellow. You would hardly believe it now.' but he has contrived to hoist a flag just because he sees me coming. Indeed, uncle! Yes, my dear, he has. And didn't you hear that he actually managed to fire a couple of guns, some way or another? 
I certainly did hear the report, but I had no idea that we were indebted to Jack Pringle's management for them. Oh, yes, I can see him a short distance ahead. He is lying too now. And, if the wind wasn't against us, we should be upon him in a few minutes, but don't you feel it blowing in your face? Notwithstanding the Admiral considered, which he certainly did, that the wind was a real impediment to the progress of the carriage, they did in a few moments reach to where Jack Pringle was waiting, when the Admiral called out from the window in a loud voice, Aloha! What ship, and where are you bound to? The Jack Pringle, was the reply from Anderbury, and to fall in with the Admiral Bell, convoy of the pretty Flora. "'There now,' said the Admiral, "'didn't I tell you what a clever fellow Jack was? What shore-going humbug, who had never been to sea, would have thought of such a thing?' "'Well,' said Jack, as he walked up to the coach-window, for the Bastillians had been ordered to halt, or, as the Admiral had expressed it, to heave too. "'Well, here you are, all of you.' "'Yes, Jack,' said the Admiral, "'and I was just saying I thought you a very clever fellow. "'I am sorry I can't return the compliment.' "'You poor old creature,' said Jack. "'I hope you haven't gotten yourself into any trouble "'since I have been away from you. "'What a miserable old hulk you do look, to be sure. "'There you go again. "'Now you are getting into a passion as usual. "'What a dreadful thing temper is, to be sure, "'when you can't manage it.' Jack scrambled up behind into the rumble before the Admiral could make any reply to him, for indignation stopped his utterance a moment or two, and when he did speak it was to Flora he addressed himself more particularly, saying, "'Now, did you ever know a more ungrateful son of a gun than that, after I had just told him that I thought him a clever fellow, for him to burst out abusing me at that rate? Now I have done with him.' "'Oh, you may depend, Admiral Bill,' said Flora, "'that he doesn't at all mean what he says, "'and I am convinced that he entertains for you "'the highest possible respect, "'and that he is only jesting when he uses those expressions "'which would seem as if it were otherwise.' "'Let's just wait,' said the Admiral, "'till the wedding is over, "'and then I'll let him know "'whether a boatswain is to make a joke "'of an Admiral of the fleet.'" End of chapter 117